1: First Kings chapter 18, verse number 1 So what we're going to read in just a few moments, but let me set the setting for you. After the death of Solomon, the son of David, the kingdom is quickly divided into two halves. The northern kingdom, the country of Israel, the southern kingdom, the place of Judah in the time that they begin to move forward through the kings we find one statement over and over again and this king did not serve the lord and this king did not serve the lord and finally in first kings chapter 16 verse 29 we actually read a passage that says about the king of that's also in first kings 18 king ahab whose wife's name was Jezebel, King Ahab, it says, and he was uh, a greater sinner or had sinned more or pursued evil more than any of the kings before him. So Elijah comes on the scene to to deal with the people because the people had lost their fire. The people had lost their passion for God. The people had stopped worshiping God. And let me just say it right now. If you have gone through a struggle to where your fire seems quenched, to where your passion for God seems to be stuttering, where you no longer have the hope that you once have, you have come to the right place today because this message is for you. It's not a message of condemnation, but yet a message of hope that this is how you're going to start a fire. Do you know how you start a good fire? What do you do? You you create the environment, you gather the right fuel for the fire, and, and then you stack that fuel in the right way, and, and then you take and you have to have some form of an ignition device, something that's going to ignite that fuel. And, and if you're like me, you, you want something that's going to ignite it rather quick. Come on now. You should see all these 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 Boy Scout dads have all their little tunnels of of things set up, and and, and my campfire has a fire log right in the middle of it. Come on now, amen uh, from Walmart, but uh, you know uh, you just light the paper and boom, there it is. But we want something that doesn't uh, to ignite that. So you could imagine if you were trying to start a fire, and if all of a sudden you said, okay, we have all the right ingredients. Now give me the fire hose, and I'm going to wet it down completely. So I take a large fire hose and I I wash that whole area down and I saturate it with water. How many of you think that fire would be starting anytime soon? No, because I have done the opposite of what you would expect. Can I tell you that if you really want to ignite the fire of God in your life, you're going to have to do some opposite things than what you should expect. Listen to me carefully. Here's where we are at this moment. Elijah says because you won't serve God, God's going to deal with you In the physical to change your spiritual. And a drought descends upon the land. And as the drought comes upon the land, for three years, over three years at the point of 1 Kings 18, they have struggled with this drought. They have struggled with the pain that drought brings. They have, they have struggled watching their crops die, their their, their livestock die. They, they're just struggling to live. And at this place where they're struggling to live, finally, they, God is trying to lovingly push them back. Even through hard uh, judgment, He's pushing them back toward the things of God. And they will not relent. They would rather struggle. Then have a move of God in their lives. And so God sends Elijah back in eighteen, uh, chapter 18, verse number 1. This is what the Lord says. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. It was in the third year, third year of the drought, saying, Go present yourselves to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Go, and here in this third year, heart and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Let's jump down to verse number 17. And then it happened, and we're going to go through most of this chapter, but then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Is that you, the one who's caused all this problem. And he answered him. He said, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the bells. I'm not the reason that you don't know where God is. I'm not the reason you're lost. I, I'm not the reason, he says. He says, because you've chosen to live in sin, that's why you're in the condition that you're in. I want you to see that. That's what he said. He said, this is not, my, not me. And he says, "Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, uh, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table." Now, let me say first off, that's 450 and 400—that's 400, 850. That's a big table. Can I get an amen for that? But imagine this: Elijah says, "Enough! You're not relenting. You're not turning. You're not becoming what God wants you to be. Enough, God." is ready for you to come back to Him. He's ready to bring relief to His people. You need to turn. And He kind of says, okay, we're coming to the place of the okay corral. This is where we're going to have to call this. We're going to call this the place that things are going to have to change. How many of you understand if you want a move of God, you're going to have to make up your mind to let God change your life? And I want you to watch what happens. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, watch this, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Now notice what he says last. But the people answered him not. I want you to get that for a moment. But the people would not answer. They're in the middle of this really great need. The man of God shows up and says, it's time for all of this to stop. God wants to send the rain again. You need to make up your mind. Are you going to serve Baal? Are you going to serve the Lord? And I want you to watch what happens. Are you ready for this?" He says, make up your mind. Can I tell you that if God is the God who has sent the rain, I want God. But what do they do? He says, make up your mind. Ready? Who are you going to serve? Ready? Here we go. You ready? And they stayed just as quiet. Who are you going to serve? The Lord, right? But no, they just stood there quietly. They just stood there. Can I tell you that indifference, listen to me, I want you to get it, is a silent amen to the enemy's plans and the enemy's purposes. And one of the, and I feel the Holy Spirit in what I'm say, bringing to you today. One of the reasons why you can't find a move of God. One of the reasons why God's not shaking your home and changing your family the way you want to is because you haven't had enough. Wow. Amen. Please do me a favor. I have weak inform, preach my heart out in two services. I promise you, I will give you everything I've got, but I'm ready for somebody to get an atmosphere to receive what I'm trying to give you in this place. Let me declare it again. That God wants to change the environment. And the reason that most people don't get a change of environment is when the opportunity and the call for a move of God comes, they just stand there quietly and just kind of watch. And they have not made up their mind yet that they are through being sick and sick and tired. They are sick of being sick and tired. They are tired of being running around in circles. They are tired of going around the same mountain enough. They have not made up their mind enough. I will have a move of God. And that's the message God has sent me with here today, that it is time for us to make up our mind that we are tired with church as it has been. We are tired of only responding to a certain level, that God has pushed America to its knees, and now we raise our voices and declare, I'll tell you who God is. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the Lord God Almighty, and America needs Jesus. (laughs) Pastor Don, you're yelling, yes, I am, glory to God. I was on a a speaking tour and I was being rather quiet on this speaking tour and one of the the people that had paid to come on this tour came up to me and they said, said, Pastor, you're not screaming. I said, what are you talking about? They said, everyone knows you're the yelling preacher. Come on, amen. So I stopped yelling for the whole trip. Come on. But when I'm talking to you about the passion of God, how can you stay quiet? So Elijah says, "All right, we're going to have to go to an altar. Because our altars are where we begin and we end our pursuit of God. Amen, amen. Altars are where you make your declaration, enough is enough. Altars are where you come to to say, this is who I'm going to be. This is it was at an altar that we found Christ. It was at an altar. You say, Pastor Donnie, it wasn't in a church. No, it was at a place where you met God. Amen, amen. And things are going to change. So, he says to them, all right, guys, here's how we're going to handle it. He says, look, we're going to both come to our altar. You go to the altar of Baal, I'm going to go to the altar of the Lord, and we're going to put a sacrifice on the altar, and whoever's God answers by fire, he's God. Plain and simple. If your God can answer by fire, he's God. I will, I will yield the day to you. But if my God answers by fire, he's God. Plan? Deal? Deal. Deal. Whatever. Deal. Deal. See, they were still quiet, but you're not. Now listen to me because we have to get passionate. We have to pursue God. God's looking for someone who's going to enter into the deal that he has offered. And here's the deal that God's offering this generation. If you will seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. You see, they made a deal with the prophet, but God's Spirit's looking for a people who will make a deal with him. My goodness, I feel the Holy Spirit as I'm saying it. He's looking for a people who would dare believe, who would dare trust, who would dare passionately pursue him, to say, okay, God, I'll step up and I'll believe your promises. Because if you seek me, you will find me. Here's what it says in the English Standard Version. How long are you going to limp between two decisions? When you? I mean, I'm not sure... Today I'm faithful, tomorrow I'm not. Make up your mind. Deal. Seek him with your whole heart. and You will find him. So the moment is set. They take their their sacrifice and they begin their search. 1 Kings 18 verse 26 reads like this. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. This is the the, the 850 other prophets, okay? And this is what they said, Oh Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And yet they kept praying. They could not be satisfied in their pursuit. I want you to see that. And they and at noon, no, go back, go back just, just, just a minute. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made. They didn't even march. They limped. They, they, They were dragging themselves because they were not strong enough because the gods that they were pursuing were not able to supply them the power they needed. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, I'm sorry, this is going to sound a little childish, but I really love Elijah's attitude. he he says, cry a little louder. He's a God, right? Either he's musing, I love this line, or he's taking a potty break. (laughs) Or is he on a vacation? Or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. Elijah doesn't cut them any slack, folks. He says, Come on, what's up with this? It's not working for you. Can I tell you that pursuing the pathways of darkness are not working for you? They're not answering you, and they don't give you the strength to walk in power. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves, watch this, after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Let me just show you what God showed me this morning about that. As they walked around their sacrifice, they were cutting themselves and shedding their own blood. We will sometimes pay everything to hold on to what we shouldn't have. But watch what happens in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Basically, enough. You've had most of the day. Come near to me. And all of the people came near to him. Let me tell you something I want you to catch. They were not coming near to Elijah. They were coming near to the Spirit of God that was upon Elijah. And suddenly, watch this. And suddenly, the fire fell. Right? Right? Let's read that verse together. And all the people came near to him, and the earth shook, and the wind blew, and the fire fell. What's he asking God to do? To send the fire. To move. And what does he do next? He calls the people and says, okay, God's turn. Boom, here you go, God. No. But that's the problem. Most of us have been like, okay, God, your turn. I tried the world. Now let's see what you can do. What does the line say? And he repaired, help me, and he did what? And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Why had the altar of the Lord been torn down? Why was the altar of the Lord in disrepair? Because they had moved their attention from the things of God to other things. And then before long, it fell into disrepair. And before long, they started taking what had once been valuable to them, like purity, and giving it away. Faith misplacing it. I'm preaching truth. They had been taking the parts of their altars and moving them away. And before long, they, they no longer had a place to seek the face of God because they had, they had scattered it in their lives. And here's what Elijah said. He's talking to us through the ages. I still hear the Lord talks about that spirit of Elijah. I still hear that spirit of Elijah speaking to us today that if you want a move of God that people are going to talk about in thousands of years, the very first thing you need to do is repair the altar. You need to come back and you need to begin the uh, build again the place where you get along with God. You need to come back and you need to begin to reestablish your commitment to the living God. You need to establish that God is first and God is foremost in your life and that God is going to be supreme in who you are. Because when you reestablish the altar, then God's going to show up and alter your life at the altar. Something's going to change. Because God didn't show up like a strike of lightning. But Elijah had to do the work first. Yeah. And that's what God's looking for. A people who are going to stop saying, Your turn, God. And a people who are going to say, We have prepared a place for you, God. Yeah. Now what do you need to start a fire on an altar? A lot of wood. So they bring the wood. Makes sense, right? Right? You need to burn a fire, you need some wood, fuel. Then if you're going to make a sacrifice, I mean, it's just kind of sad, but you need a sacrifice. I'll get there. Sacrifice. Boom. So we're ready for the fire. we got the altar. we got the wood. we got the animal sacrifice. We are ready to roll. And then Elijah says, no, 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 hold on a minute. Watch this. This blew my mind. Hold on a minute. He said, we're not ready for a move of God yet. He said, somebody bring me a shovel. A shovel? Dig a trench. So they dig a trench all the way around the altar. And then he said, don't give me one. I want you to get me 12 of the biggest containers of water you can find. Go get them. What are we trying to start? What do you need to start a fire? Water. You need water. Watch this. So he takes the water, and one container after another, they saturate the sacrifice. They saturate the wood. The rocks are now clean, and because the water has run through the rocks, and the trench is full of the water, and you you'd have to step through the water. Well, that'll preach or over the water just to get to the altar. And now there's water everywhere. And now, we can have the fire of God. Can I ask you a question? Why did he put the water on the altar? Why did he put the water? Listen, I remember this story from primary Sunday school class. I, this, some of you won't get this, but some of you will. A flannel graph. All right? You got to be older than, than 40 to understand what I'm talking about, all right? Flannel graph. Little pictures altar, dead animal in a pitcher of water. Why did he do that? I have been told my whole life why he did that. I have been told, and let me tell you why people, I'm going to show you something, why people misunderstood this story. People have always preached that he poured the water on to step up the odds. He was building a higher obstacle that he was, he, was, he was showing something that, that he was going to say, your God couldn't even light a, a dry fire. My God, he's bad to the bone. Can I say that in, the, in the, this year still? My God is awesome. I'm going to put a big obstacle. Can I tell you that is a total misconception that we've all preached? That's not what. But why do we feel like it's important to build an obstacle above the altar where we want God to move? Can I tell you why? This is going to sound hard, but listen to me, because that's how we really pray. We want God to move, but we've been putting the obstacles up. We say, God, we want you to move, but God, we understand why you won't because of what's happening in my life. God, we want you to do something, but I understand you know my past. Can I tell you? that I don't care how high the obstacle is, it will not change the fact that God can move for you and that if you will seek him with all of your heart, you will find him. I don't care how deep your sin, how great your struggle, how far you've run from God, if you are hungry for God, God will encounter you. But what you need to stop doing is stop building obstacles and you need to start bringing offerings. Because the water was not an obstacle. The water was an offering. I know that God has this message for this church this week because He gave it to one of our other leaders for one of our small groups. I want you to get this. That you have to bring an offering. What year of the drought was it? Three. If you've ever been to the Middle East, you will understand what I'm saying, that when you're in the Middle East, in the good years, water is valuable. The moment you step out in the Middle East, it's like literally every ounce of fluid just, just sucks out of who you are. You have to have water in the Middle East. We're not talking about in the good times. We're talking about three years of drought. What is the most valuable thing in the desert in the middle of a drought? Water. Water. He did not create an obstacle. Instead, he said, bring me the very thing that you trust for you with your life, the very thing that you value the most. And when you put what you value the most on the altar, then God can send a move, then God can send the fire, then God can do something amazing in your life. He said, until you're willing to take what you've been drinking that's been satisfying your life and give it up, you can't have a move of God. I want, you to, I want you to understand this today. Some of you go, Pastor Don, I don't understand how to pour water on that. I don't even know how to build an altar. Well, what you need to do is, as one young man told me this week, he said, I've learned in this altered series not to rise and shine, but to rise and slide. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, I wake up and I slide out of my bed on my knees and God's changing my family. Listen to me. You need to rise and slide. And you need to start bringing your faith back every morning. And you need to start putting your hope back. And you need to start walking purely before the Lord. And as you start building the altar, you're going to be putting the wood of of the Word of God. You're going to be putting the, the sacrifice there. But then he says, what have you been drinking? And for somebody here, somebody come and begin to play. But for somebody here, the water that you need to pour is the water of bitterness. Because you've been drinking your whole life out of how you were hurt and how you were wounded and who let you down and who wronged you. And you know what you need to do? You need to say, God, you're greater than that. And you need to pour it out. Some of you need to bring your your cup of, of pride and you need to say, God, you're greater than this. Cup of pain. God, you're greater than this. I don't know what it is that's been bringing you your life. What's been the thing that you think you can't live without? But I do know what that is. It's the key to the move of God in your life. Until you're willing to put the most valuable thing on your life, or in your life, on the altar of your life, you won't see the fire fall. You won't see the move of God. It's when you slide up to the altar every morning to say, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be good to them. I don't want to do what's right. But you're better. You are greater than my desire for vengeance. You are greater for my, than my desire for revenge. You are, you are stronger than, than my pain. And God, I'm not willing to carry anything that's going to keep me from seeking after you with all of my heart. I give it to you. And when you push whatever that water is from your life onto the altar, get ready. Because only two places in Scripture are the description given exactly the same like they are in 1 Kings 18 and Acts chapter 2 because there was suddenly a mighty rushing sound of a wind and then a fire fell and consumed everything and one was a sacrifice and one were those people who were hungry for God. Because when you say, God, you're greater than my pain, you're greater than my past, you're greater than my struggles, and I will have you above all else. The fire of God is coming to your life.